Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's Greg Batsik. Well, things did not go well for the Milwaukee Brewers this afternoon. Bob Brainerd's in on sports. We'll recap the day that was for your Milwaukee Brewers. Mike Spaulding in for Sandy Max today. We'll get the 3 at 3 coming up in just a moment. First, to check if your roads, Debbie Lazquez, the Johnson & Sons. Paving Traffic Center. Debbie, crowd letting out of the game, I imagine. Yeah, so definitely going to see that big traffic right around the stadium. So east and westbound going to be piling in right now. The westbound side's actually a little bit worse as folks are leaving the Marquette interchange. Going to ride the brakes all the way through to about Holly Road. The eastbound side starts to slow down at about Holly Road, and that stretches all the way into the Marquette. Southbound on 43, seeing backups from Hampton down past Capitol, and then back on the brakes from Keefe down through the Marquette Interchange and over the high-rise bridge heading down on 4394. And southbound 40, uh, 41, going to be slowing down from just before Silver Spring down to almost Burleigh. I'm Debbie Lazago through WTMJ Johnson & Sons Paving. Time saver traffic. Picture-perfect day outside, 65 at the lake, currently 66, I should say. It's up over 70 if you're a little more more inland. Brilliant sunshine, going to be a very similar day tomorrow. However, you can expect a little more cloud covered. 66 degrees in Milwaukee, it's 318. We'll get to our 3 at 3 in a moment, but quickly, Bob, as we recap the Brewers' loss to the Dodgers, I was just coming back here, looking at how well the Brewers started the season, they won five of their first six series, and now they've lost five of their last six series. And here you are, still just a half game back of the Pirates in the division. Kind of a clunker today, though. Yeah, nobody in division wants a division at this point, and it's only the month of May. But yeah, Wade Miley arguably has been the Brewers' best starting pitcher this season. Coming into the game, he works efficiently, he works quickly, he throws strikes. He did that through the first three innings. You heard it in the recap with Lane, but then the Dodgers got to him second time through the order, and he just didn't have the stuff today. Five innings, gave up seven runs, six base hits. Uh, he wasn't not. He's allowed to have a clunker because, again, he's been very good for Milwaukee in the starting rotation. And, and the bat, I was at the game last night. The bats just haven't been supportive. They fell behind six to nothing, got some late offense charged in the game last night. But not enough because the pitching, and that was going against the Dodgers' bullpen. Eight pitchers went last night to get the job done. So you had eight pitchers last night. Clayton Kershaw, strong seven innings tonight for the Dodgers. That combo and the and the offense against Miley got it done in game three. I, I try and refrain from looking at the standings until at least Mother's Day. That's fair. And, and then I do it again on Flag Day. Very underappreciated holiday. Oh, yeah, June 14th. And then again during the All-Star break, like I have these check-in times, but uh, at the risk of getting ahead of myself, the Brewers have 20 wins. There aren't many teams with 20 or more wins in the National League, and it's been a disastrous 10-game stretch for most teams in the NL Central. Cardinals are just awful. They're 11 games below 500. The Reds are five games below 500. The Cubs are below 500. They've lost seven of their last 10. So the Brewers, yeah, I know they scuffled a little bit here, and so have the Pirates. But the Brewers are just a half game back of Pittsburgh, and you get the feeling Pittsburgh is off to a nice start, but they're going to come back to earth at some point here. So no one's running away with anything yet in this division, and it's likely to be that way throughout the year. I think most Brewer fans and baseball fans look at this division and say there's going to be market correction here. You mentioned the Pirates. The market correction has already taken place. They're starting to come back to reality. But when I say market correction... I mean the St. Louis Cardinals. It, it, it can't be this bad for that organization to continue all year long. You, you all you get the feeling they're going to figure things out, and they'll make life miserable 
for everybody else in the division before it's all said and done. So if the Brewers can just, you know, just maintain themselves and try to avoid these long losing streaks like they just had on the road, they'll be okay in this division because you don't think Pittsburgh and the Cubs and the Reds are going to be a threat. If St. Louis figures it out, they will be a threat when we get to October. Bottle has sports all afternoon long, including the comments from Packers quarterback Jordan Love, who met with the media today. This is the three at three on Wisconsin's afternoon news. And normally it's about a three oh nine kind of segment here. Brewers pushing our three at three back. A few stories that we are following. Mike Spalding has got his eye on it. Yeah, Greg, number one, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers today putting pen to paper on a pair of bills that are intended, or are intended, I should say, to curb reckless driving. Yeah, so there's now a carjacking section in the criminal code. This didn't exist before. There's two bills here. Assembly Bill 55 increases penalties for reckless driving. It also requires that the driver improvement surcharge and safe ride surcharge are imposed to anyone convicted of reckless driving. Senate Bill 76 recognizes and reorganizes the crimes of intentionally taking a vehicle without a driver's consent, creates this new carjacking section in the criminal code, also increases certain penalties related to carjacking crimes. If you remember, back in April, Evers also signed Senate Bill 92 to help curb reckless driving in Wisconsin, allowing counties and municipalities to enact uh, ordinances authorizing law enforcement to impound vehicles, so on and so forth. So uh, trying to make this more of a thing, but the the new thing is that there's now a carjacking section, Mike, in the criminal code. How bad does something need to get to where you have to create a new section of law? Like, it's, it's pretty bad. Right, I it just it's and it's not getting any better, right? I mean, something absolutely has to be done. I, I know funds are appropriated and there's grant money involved, and and who knows where it goes from here. But reckless driving is a major issue in the city of Milwaukee. What else we have? If you're a Milwaukee County employee, all business travel will now be conducted locally, or at least start and end locally. Yeah, it's a new travel policy uh, that. County Executive David Crowley organized and helped communicate today. So here's the deal. If you are a Milwaukee County employee traveling for business to help drive economic growth in Milwaukee County, you will have to travel by air for county business through Milwaukee Mitchell International Airport. In other words, no going off to Chicago, no searching for the least expensive flight or path of least resistance through Midway or Chicago O'Hare. Crowley says if we choose Milwaukee over a Chicago airport, could end up meaning that we add dozens of flights to Milwaukee. No more jobs, millions of dollars to the economy. Forget about sending that to Illinois. Let's keep it here. And he's calling on all businesses and units of government to follow the lead. So if you're a county employee, not sure how much they travel in the course of a given year, you will have to originate your travel through Mitchell International Airport. Finally, this one hurts. Me, at least. Uh, people of a certain age, I think, are going to be affected by this one. A trend-setting television program, Greg, being shelved by MTV. Yeah, let's see if you can re- recall this voice. Hi, I'm Kurt Loder with an MTV News special report on a very sad day. Kurt Cobain, the leader of one of rock's most gifted and promising bands, Nirvana, is dead. And this is the story as we know it so far. Cobain's body was found in a house in Seattle on Friday morning. He was dead of an apparently self-inflicted shotgun blast to the head. Police found what is said to be a suicide note at the scene. But have not yet divulged its contents. MTV News rose to prominence in the mid-90s. Kurt Loder came over in the 1980s. He was a, a Rolling Stone editor. He turned TV host, and he was kind of the voice of news for MTV. Well, now MTV News is no longer. And I scaled back over the last few years. It's not what it was in the mid-90s, Mike. But to your point, 
I mean, he was the voice of reason on MTV as Beavis and Butthead was, you know, channeling uh, sophomoric behavior and so on. You had cartoons, you had occasional mu- music videos along with real world and road rules. Kurt Loder was the voice of reason for that station, and now MTV News well, is shut down. Yeah, it, a certain group of people had, had what, Walter Cronkite is their trusted voice? A certain group of people have Lester Holt now as their trusted voice. For my generation, growing up in the 90s, it was whoever was on MTV News at the time. It's one of my first uh, memories of news was Lollapalooza 99, and their, or Lollapalooza, uh, Woodstock 99, and their coverage from there. It's like one of my first news memories ever, so... Kind of a sad day for me, although I will say I had no idea that MTV News still existed. Well, so yeah, you know, I'm not doesn't. spending a lot of time on MTV anymore, but uh, what's happening here is a uh, major Paramount Division announced a, a, a trimming of the workforce by 25%. So uh, that's one of the reasons MTV News is no longer. But certainly was a, a voice of reason at a time and certainly made its heyday in the 90s. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. Quick, hit us up on the text line. What's this the theme song to? Oh, oh, I know. Well, I know you know. We talked about it during the break. No, I I know because I lived through this. You lo- oh, I did too. Yeah. This was must-see TV. Of course. At a time where I was uh, a young Greg growing up trying to figure out this world. And I would always watch it at like, I don't know, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. It just scared the tar out of me before I went to bed. Like, what am I doing to myself? We'll give a hint. One hint. The host of the show was Robert Stack. He's a perfect host. Oh, yeah. the perfect host. And not the airplane character, Robert Stack. Uh, right. Striker. Striker. Yes. Um, and the reason we are playing the Unsolved Mysteries theme song here is because uh, I teased it before we went to break. Uh, this story was, was popping off last night, uh, about this time, maybe a little later. Uh, so when teams come into town and, and play the Milwaukee Brewers, they will commonly stay at the Fister. Built in the 1800s, the most iconic hotel in downtown Milwaukee. It is gorgeous. It is stunning. Got a great place called Blue if you want to grab a cocktail and grab a city view. Mm -hmm. It's just an iconic place in downtown Milwaukee. However, some athletes just prefer not to stay at the Fister because of its, quote-unquote, haunted tendencies. So Mookie Betts of the Dodgers said, I'm good. Just going to grab an Airbnb. So he and several teammates stayed at an Airbnb during the series in Milwaukee. Now, I'm also very curious. If you are the owner of that Airbnb, please hit us up here on the talking text yes. line. I'd like to know if you knew that Mookie Betts and some of the Dodgers were staying at the place you own and rent out. And That's the story. And Mookie Betts, in, in, with his previous ball club, the Boston Red Sox, he has stayed at the Fister before. Yes. And so... He's kind of taking the past experiences, he said, and just saying, look, I'm not taking any more chances. I have heard things. And, of course, as we know, Greg, the story kind of takes on life of its own because it's shared amongst Major League Ball players from generation to generation. They go, th- they tell each other, this is what happened to me. Don't let it happen to you. Yeah, this is primarily a baseball thing, not so much a basketball thing. And I, there's a handful of names here. I got this list of... of baseball players who have been spooked out by the Fister. Now, what I find most interesting about the list is that one, two, three, three of the players ended up being Milwaukee Brewers. And my argument is that they became Milwaukee Brewers because they just didn't want to travel here anymore. <laughs> right. Just right, give me my own condo or apartment. Are you <laughs> yeah, kidding me? I'm good. One of those players is former Brewers outfielder Mike Cameron, who swore he would never stay at the Fister. Uh, the craziest thing I heard is that guys have... 
lock their doors and the door's been open and throughout the night. Or somebody's felt like, you know, that there's something else in that room besides them. That's not it. My wife, she didn't like it. She felt she's real big on all that extraterrestrial, creepy stuff like that. So she was saying, I don't want to stay here no more. So we had to end up moving the Intercontinental Hotel. Bryce Harper, the 2015 NL MVP, said while staying at the Fister in 2012, he laid out his shirt and pants on a table by the end of the bed before going to sleep at night when he woke up in the morning and he says quote i swear on everything the clothes were on the floor and the table was on the opposite side of the room against the wall i was so flustered baseball players are known to be jokers pranksters right couldn't that account for some of the explanation of some of these hijinks that that go on that that it's players who they pinpoint the guys who are the most nervous and creeped out by said ghost. And so they find a way to get into rooms and make things happen and disrupt things just so they can watch their their teammate freak out. Well, now that's my sense of humor and that's yours. I of would course. certainly do that to a teammate. But if you're part of that visiting team, man, you want to be clicking on all cylinders when you go to the ballpark, right? Yeah, you you do. don't want somebody freaked out pale as a ghost getting on that bus the next morning. They're also superstitious, right? Yes, very much so. Absolutely, Deb. Absolutely. So Clint Hurdle is a former Pirates manager. Final story here. He said he never saw a ghost at the Fister, but he did have to deal with the effects of one of his players seeing a ghost. Pirates were in town in 2016. Hurdle explained that he was not the person who saw the ghost, but a player called him because he said a ghost had turned on his TV twice in one night. Hurdle says, I actually had to go to his room. And he didn't sleep. I just settled him down, went back to his room with him, sat for a little while. The TV did not come back on. I exited. Everything was okay. It's real to some people. There's no doubt. I'm absolutely positive that I don't want to name names. The player is still playing. All across the baseball landscape, everyone knows about the Fister, the most iconic hotel in Milwaukee, a gorgeous place, wonderful event space, gorgeous everything, beautiful, and also a little spooky to some players in Major League Baseball. 345. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on a Wednesday. Greg Matzik in for John. Vince Vetrano from Wisconsin's Morning News in for Vince Vetrano. I'm here for myself. From Wisconsin's Morning News. Hello. (laughs) Great to be here. Did you see Big Day for Summerfest? And you and I are both local kids. You're Brookfield Central. I'm Tosi East, right? But... Kids who grew up here, we grew up with Summerfest. And a big day today because they announced all of their gate promotions read how to get in free. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so bring an ice cream lid, right? Yeah. And you'll be, you know, non-perishable food items. Is there a couple of days here, Greg, where you don't even have to do anything but show up? Like Children's Fest Day is always one of those. Let me see when that is. That's that first Friday, June 23rd, and that's close to my heart because that TMJ4 was always a part of that and will again be. That's one where all you got to do is show up noon to 3. You're in free. Yeah. There are one or two other days where you don't even have to bring anything. Of course, there's a day, the Stomp Out Hunger Day, where they ask you to bring three non-perishable food items to get in free from noon to 3, things like that. But they always had some sort of thing. My saying is, and you've heard me say it before, if you pay full price to get into Summerfest... You just didn't try. You probably hard. did it wrong. Yeah, you, you know, I, I'm glad they're sticking with this this whole idea because I think part of the challenge Summerfest had in its previous format was 
All right, it's Wednesday. It's 1 o'clock in the afternoon. How do we get people here? Yeah. So there'd be all sorts of promotions and ways to get in early. And if you were there by 4 o'clock, maybe you had, you know, a free admittance or a significant discount. And then it, it would be, you know, more standard price in the evening hours. But they're sticking with the idea of making it easy for fans to get in and enjoy great entertainment, even though they've shifted formats and aren't really doing as much midweek. Yeah, and again, if you, if you want to buy a ticket, they'll sell you one. But there are also free tickets floating around, like, everywhere. You have to not... You have to like work to not be confronted. Right. Do you need tickets for Summerfest, whether it's at a business or a place that you go or maybe at your work? <laughs> right? People always got tickets to Summerfest. Always available, right? Yes. I've worked at WTMJ since 2001, and uh, there's always been a handful of tickets yeah. available what for do consumption. What do you need? But prior to that, it was taking advantage of those deals, and it was you know getting down to the Marcus Amphitheater at... 10 a.m. to get your hand stamped so you could sit in the lawn to watch Hootie and the Blowfish or something like that, right? (laughs) Well, and today the other thing that they were doing, Greg, is this $25 all-in ticket. So this is a chance to see one of four headliners, the big headliners at Now American Family Insurance Amphitheater for just $25, which is an amazing price. It gets you into Summerfest and then also gets you into the big show. So Eric Church, Zach Brown, James Taylor and Cheryl Crow, that's one show, and Odessa were the shows where that $25 all-in in ticket would get you in but yeah you're right like when we were younger i mean my my most famous my most epic hand stamp was 93 bon jovi i was working at Summerfest. i worked at the Susie's cheesecake booth and unexpectedly some college buddies of mine showed up and they're like yeah dude going to bon jovi tonight i'm like well that's great have fun I'm like no dude we're going to get a hand stamp right now I'm like yeah, clearly i am working well, I found a way to yeah, there you go. <laughs> sneak away for a second, get that hand stamp. So we, it was an amazing show. He played for like three hours, played through the fireworks, after the fireworks, the whole nine. It was great. I, the hand stamp was an interesting deal. And, and now you can get a hard ticket. And, and there were yeah. special concerts that would come through to Summerfest, like Horde Festival, uh, where you'd have to get a, an actual ticket even to be in the lawn, but it was yeah. really inexpensive. But the majority of the shows, it, it was the hand stamp. So is, what we always had trouble with is playing summer baseball, at Brookfield Central High School, we'd get yeah. a, you know, a van full of kids. We'd drive down, we'd get our hand stamped, and then we'd have a game that night. Well, like, well how are we going to protect the integrity of this, <laughs> this oh, stamp? Oh, you're worried about sweating it, out it, the stamp, It huh? only shows up under a black light, right? Yeah. So they'd put it on your wrist or your forearm. So we'd go out to the baseball field, and yeah, 85 degrees outside, <laughs> right? And we'd put a little wristband over it, and then you know, we'd take a shower after the game. Our arm would be sticking out of the shower. You can't get it wet. And then somebody's invariably would smudge off, so we'd have to try and create one with a highlighter. Which, you did not. Which we did. A did friend you? of mine had a blacklight, so we just you know, we'd run the blacklight over our hand stamp. How does yours look? Pretty good. How about you? Eh, not bad. Mine could use some touching up. And then we'd touch it up with a highlighter. And it did would, that work? Eighty uh, percent ish. So more often than it should have. Uh, it did. Now, now, trying to create one from scratch, that did not work terribly well, unless you just had a gate attendant who didn't give a rip and lobby well, in. Well, yeah, this wasn't like, you know, a smiley face with a Sharpie. Like, these were actual stamps. Oh, yeah. And, and it usually had, it was block lettering of something. Yeah. I don't recall what it was. It, but was, it was distinguishable. Square, and it would smudge off. You had, to, you had to treat it like gold. It was like that... You know, that, that home ec class when you were in high school, they, they give you a chicken egg and you had to protect the egg. Yes. And right. if you had yolk come out of your egg, you failed the class. Well, right? I think they were hard-boiled, weren't oh, they? They must have been. But nonetheless, you had to protect <laughs> yes. the hand stamp. It was, like a, it was like a newborn child, that little stamp on your wrist. Is there a show that you remember getting a hand stamp for that like stood out? Like I, I mentioned Jovi. Like the fact that I saw that show for $0 is absurd. I saw Jimmy Buffett before I knew what Jimmy Buffett was all about. Okay. 
because it was like seventh grade, and I didn't some place to be. Right, people were just sort of camped out on the lawn all day long. It was kind of an all day show. And a friend of mine and I, we, we, we headed in and was just like, I don't, know, I don't really get this. And, and we ended up leaving early. Uh, I was there for Young MC and Millie Vanilli. Yeah. Um, and Young MC stole the show as Millie Vanilli was the headliner, but we couldn't figure out. My friend and I, Mike, I remember it like it was yesterday, trying to figure out how Millie Vanilli was able to sing so well while having a sword fight on stage. It just yeah. didn't make sense. Well, we later learned the answer to that question. Yeah, look at the talent on that stage. they it's weren't incredible. singing. Yeah, those stand out to me. Oh, good times. So, again, if you pay full price to get into Summerfest, that's on you. You just didn't try very hard. I, I missed the days, and, and, you know, God bless him. Tom Petty was a staple. Yeah. I saw him with Pearl Jam. Uh, they played two shows, which was outstanding. Uh, so a lot of great shows, a lot of great memories just going down to the Summerfest grounds. But I, I love that they're continuing to make it easy for fans of all ages to get in, explore, enjoy it. I used to get 20 bucks for mom and dad to go spend a day there with my friend. Whatever concert was playing at the amphitheater, we would check out, get our hand stamp. We'd run through every flavor of snow cone at the Hawaiian ice station and then have enough, you know, for a bite to eat, like a, an ear of corn. We'd go back all sugared up and starving. Those were the days, man. No doubt about that. He's a finely dressed man and a fine American. Vince Vetrano from Wisconsin's Morning News. Thank you, pal. Good to see you.